Hello, neighbors. It's time for a big confession. Also, don't judge me for this. But I just want you to know that I'm online reading your stories. I'm reading about what it's like to be in your shoes and relating. Whether those stories have to do with your child having food allergies, picky eating, or some medical symptoms that make it difficult for your child to feed, I'm reading your stories in the online support forums. I'm reading because I want to help. And very few of you have contacted me at the time of this ninth episode with questions. Because if you do reach out to me with your questions, especially early on, so in the fall of 2020, going into the winter months, if you reach out to me, I'll even do a podcast episode on you. Because, again, I'm just trying to help. So go ahead, review that podcast, comment on the YouTube channel, write to me. You can do this. I want to help you, but I can only help you is as much as you reach out to me. And if you don't reach out to me, that's okay. Just listen to these episodes. You know, hopefully there's stuff in there that you'll like. Let me know what you like. Let me know if there's something that you'd like me to expand on. I'm here. Okay, I can't stress that enough. I am here, but it's your job to contact me. So if you don't want to, it's okay. I'm going to continue to do my thing, and I hope I'm helping some of you. In the meantime, until I hear from you, I'll just continue my lurking and my reading. Then I'll respond to your concerns as I'm reading them. What I want to tackle today is a conflict that arises within families that involve your child and food. Uh-huh. Not every family is perfect. Uh-huh. A lot of families have problems. And there will be conflicts around us in many families. God bless you if there aren't in yours. But these conflicts around food allergies, picky eating, or some medical concerns that make it difficult for a child to feed, these conflicts, they exist and they are hard. Thus, I'm reading. And whoa, the things that I'm reading. My heart goes out to you because this sounds hard. Okay, you want to hear why I'm here reading? I'm going to give you three examples, three stories. Okay, so story number one, there's one of you whose in-laws know that the child has severe F-Pies type reactions to oats, yet the in-laws keep talking about how F-Pies doesn't really exist and that it's good to introduce the allergenic food. By the way, F-Pies, or food protein-induced intercolitis syndrome, is a type of food allergy which affects the digestive tract. Afflicted individuals can have significant vomiting and dehydration. They can also have diarrhea. Anyway, the only way that the people in this story were able to get through to their in-laws was by screaming the following, Your grandchild could die if she eats oats because of how serious the oat reaction can be. Yes, you had to resort to the talk about death in hopes that information about F-Pies and how your child really can't have the oats would somehow stick in that family member's head. Yes, you had to say that, even though in developed countries with adequate health systems, it's rare for a child to die with FPIs. It's rare. But you had to put that kind of fear in the heads of those grandparents because otherwise they just didn't get it. And 
offering your child allergenic food was really not a good idea. Can you put yourself in those shoes? Can you see how sometimes you have to say things that you might not even feel are the most honest, but you need to say those things because you'll know how else to communicate the severity of the situation to your family. How hard that is. How hard. Then I'm going to give you my second story. There's another one of you whose child only eats in her sleep. Yep. Your child puts herself into stage one sleep each and every time that she feeds, and she can only feed that a bottle. Stage one sleep is that beginning of the sleep cycle, that moment between awake and being asleep. It's when the child is dozing off. It's a time with whatever bothers the child with feeding seems to lessen and sucking of a bottle can occur. Much needed calories can be obtained in a more relaxed state when you're half asleep, right? And that's how your child feeds. Yet, when the person in the story mentioned to their parents that their child seemed to have a feeding disorder, a pediatric feeding disorder, because they only fed in stage one sleep, they were told that all children eat that way. Yep, according to that family, all children only eat in their sleep. And hence, according to the family, this was perfectly fine. It's the way that things happen in every family. And the excuse that the grandparents gave, nobody talks about it. Yep, according to the grandparents, every family has a child who only eats in stage one sleep. And it's very common, but nobody talks about it. So not true, but according to the grandparents, the perfect angel of a grandchild had no concerns with feeding whatsoever. If you see that this is abnormal, that this is not what normally happens to babies, that they don't normally just feed in their sleep, and then if you are told by that saying that that is abnormal, you are delusional, how do you think you'd feel? You'd probably feel offended a little bit, right? It's, it's hurtful when you are trying to speak your truth. Okay, one more story. The story of the father who let his parents care for their grandchild while he went to work one day because he had to go work to provide food and electricity for his family because a lot of families have a love affair with food and electricity. Backup care wasn't available on that day. So he asked the grandparents whether he could drop off his son with them. He told his parents, your grandchild, my son, will only eat these five foods. If you give him something that isn't one of those five foods, then he's not going to eat it, no matter how hard you try. What did the grandparents do? They threw out the five foods that were in the drop-off bag for their grandson. They told themselves that their son was too lenient, and their grandson did not have any sort of a pediatric feeding disorder. He would eat just like everybody else when he was hungry not their grandson their grandson was going to eat more than five foods then all day the grandparents fed him brussels sprouts steak and apples all foods that he wouldn't eat six hours after dropping off his son the father got a phone call from his parents you have to pick up your son right now 
He just seems to be getting more cranty. That's what the grandparents said. And so the son asked, Did you feed him his favorite foods? Is he hungry? How is he eating? No response to the grandparents. The child was being obstinate. If he was hungry, he would eat anything put in front of him. So the cranky behavior must be something else. Not hunger. Huh? What? I was shocked about how frequently these internal conflicts occurred. If some version of them is occurring in your family, you are not alone. These conflicts appear to be pretty common. You know, they do. You're not alone when you're experiencing them. I want to talk about that a little bit today. What happens when the parent and the other family members don't agree? What happens when the grandparents appear to look, be saying things with which you don't agree that for you somehow seem unrealistic or a little bit different, maybe not ground in evidence or in research at all? Like, what do you do with those circumstances? I'm Dr. Evka. I'm a physician and mom to young childhood reluctantly. I remember feeling so scared and so alone as it was hard for me to find the answers to my child's feeding difficulties and to improve the feeding. Pass forward past many doctor's visits, lots of reading, multiple certifications of various aspects of feeding, and many feeding therapy sessions with me as the mom. You will see a child and a parent who have both come a long way in the feeding department. Life feels so much less scary. I have so much powerful knowledge regarding early childhood feeding. Feeding has become easier and I have more of my life back. I created this feeding handbook podcast as I want you to have actionable, simple, step-by-step strategies so that you don't have to feel as scared or as alone as I once did. If you have some questions about nutrition and picky eating, if you have a young child with lots of symptoms but no good solutions regarding why feeding seems more difficult than you would expect, if you have a diagnosis but do not know where to get more good, actionable, step-by-step information, you're in the right place. Let's get learning. Just remember that this material is for educational purposes only. Although I play a physician in real life, I'm not your doctor. If you or your child have specific medical concerns, please see your doctor. All right. Some housekeeping issues. I have changed the name of the podcast from Feeding Me Easy to Feeding Handbook. How come? Figuring out how to make feeding easier for you and your child may not be that easy. I can give you some simple strategies that hopefully over time work to make the situation better, but it might not be easy. So it's not fair for me to say that I am making a Feeding Made Easy podcast when it might not be that easy. What I am making is a handbook about feeding, a handbook that will help you when you are having a child who has difficulty with feeding. So let's do that. Let's have it named as a handbook for now, early on, because we, I don't want to be making these changes on like the hundredth episode. All right. So another housekeeping issue. This week's episode is sponsored by the Crying Baby Academy. 
Yep. If you have a baby, or if you know the baby, who just cries and cries and cries and cries and cries. Okay, so they cry a lot. And you want to learn more about this. If you think your child has colic, sign up. The course will never again be offered at the same low price of, you know, what do you think the low price is? It's free! It's free! You're getting a course for free. This enrollment ends at the end of December 2020. So if you a child who just cries and cries, you think that child has colic, and you want to get a free course on it, go to drevka.com and sign up for the Crying Baby Academy because it will never again be free. Go ahead. Make it free. You're getting free stuff here. It's the holidays. You you have family member, you know somebody whose child may have colic and you want to get them a gift? Give them a free gift. Why not? All right. <laughs> Enough said. Anyway, I wanted to talk to you about these internal family conflicts. As a parent, you want the best for your child. How frustrating it must feel when your parents, the child's grandparents, don't get the nature of the situation. How tough when other family members seem to be reacting in ways that you would not expect. In fact, for some of you, these might be ways that don't even make a lot of sense to you. They may make a lot of sense to that family member. They may make a lot of sense to that grandparent, but they just don't make that sense to you. What do you do under these circumstances? How do you convince the other families who don't quite see things in your way? How do you convince that other family member that you are right? How do you explain what you believe are facts? What happens if you want to protect your child or have your child treated in a specific way, but other families, such as grandparents, aren't completely on board? What do you do? You can't just ignore your family. I guess you could not speak them at all. But you may want to have reasons to reach out to them. Maybe you actually enjoy their company. Maybe you're hoping that they help to babysit your child. Maybe it's that you would like them to celebrate a specific holiday with you. Yet you worry about what will happen when it's you, them, and your child. Here are some questions which could worry you when it comes to a holiday party. Of course, this year with the COVID-19 situation, holiday get-togethers might be smaller, so you might not experience much of this this year, or you might. If you're having a Zoom conversation and that's your way of celebrating the holidays, then food <laughs> takes on a different meaning. You know, Not sitting around the dinner table. I guess you could be sitting around the dinner table uh, having a Zoom conversation, but often you're doing you know, something else and so food might not be the center of the get-together, but it might be in the later years. Even if you did not experience it until later years because this holiday season, it being December and all, you're going to be socially isolating. Eventually, you will be celebrating a holiday with your family. We tend to celebrate with food. At that holiday party, will you be left asking, Hey, my child eats only eight different foods. Will one of those foods be present? B. Will everyone who cooks or buys food for the holiday meal be respectful of my child's food choices? Will they make sure that no allergens are at the table? If those allergens are present, will my child's food be available in a way that truly minimizes any chance of an allergic reaction? 
C. Will television or another distraction be permitted at the family table for the holiday if my child won't eat otherwise? And believe me, you've tried. They just won't eat otherwise at this point. D. Who will play with my child if my child refuses to feed and I'm hungry? Who will supervise my child if I'm also trying to have a meal? You may have certain expectations about these situations. You may have certain expectations about what happens at the dinner table during a holiday family get-together. These expectations may be that your child's food allergies are respected. It may mean that safe food that your child is willing to eat is present. It may mean that the family practices some tolerance or they understand when it comes to your child's relationship around food. Yep, these expectations. What happens if you don't think that your family will be able to meet these expectations? What happens if they are in denial of your child's relationship around food? What happens if you are worried about the family get-together and how it could somehow harm your child? In these kinds of situations, you may want the family members who disagree with you to change. You might want them to finally wake up, smell the roses, and see the world in the same way that you do. You want them to see that, yes, your child has those food allergies. You're not making them up. You might want them to provide accommodations to your child who has a limited range of foods or various mealtime behaviors. You want those family members to be on the same wavelength as you're trying to help you in the ways you want. When the family members do not meet your expectations with their behavior, you might rock your head trying to figure out an answer as to why. Why aren't they listening to you? You want to know why they treat you and your child in the way that they do when you don't quite agree. You want them to change. And perhaps by knowing the why, you hope that you'll be able to convince them otherwise. For instance, you do not understand why they do not believe that your child has food allergies or a medical diagnosis associated with feeding concerns. You have spoken to your child's doctor about it. The doctor gave your child this diagnosis. Why does the family member just not understand? Why do they minimize this? Why are they in denial? You want the person who you see in front of you to be that person who you imagine in your head, especially if it is your parent. You want your parent to be like this ideal parent. In reality, they might not be. Each person has their flaws. Not all parents are the best parents. Some parents tend to be in this belief longer than others. There are multiple brain and psychiatric diseases that are associated with this belief. That's not to say that your family member has these brain or psychiatric diseases, but you know, they are associated with this belief. There are also certain personality types. For instance, as we discussed in the previous episode, episode 8 of this podcast, some people have a type D personality as a way of protecting themselves from too much overwhelm. These individuals may try to minimize the situation or even try to deny it. Yes, that's even if the denial makes no sense to you. There could be many potential reasons for the denial, or perhaps you will never be able to find that reason. However, denial does happen. It's not 
ideal. Having a parent or another family member in denial might not be your ideal version of a relationship. However, there it is. I have a little homework assignment for you. I'll give you a more information about it in this week's freebie. Then scroll over to the bottom of the page for episode 9 on my website, drevka.com. Another option is to go on my Instagram page and find the freebie there. The homework is as follows. I want you to write down somewhere answers to the following questions. Question number one. What would it look like if you had the most ideal family member instead of the family member who you currently have. Think about it. What would that ideal family member look like? How would they act? What would they say? How would they smell? Smell? Uh, anyway, just make it very descriptive. Question number two. How would that ideal family member act? Question number three. What kind of a relationship would that ideal family member have with me and my child? Maybe it wouldn't be as adversarial as the current one. <laughs> Don't write this down in terms of negatives. Don't write, my ideal parent wouldn't be in denial. Instead, write in terms of positives. Don't use the word don't. Write in terms of positives. So in the case I just gave you, where you would write, my ideal parent wouldn't be in denial. Don't write that. Instead, write, my ideal parent would be my biggest supporter. And understand that there's a true medical diagnosis going on. What kind of an ideal parent would you love to have if you could have any kind of an ideal parent or any other kind of ideal family member? Get specific. Think about it. Be very descriptive about that family member. The more descriptive you are, the more you can get a sense of what you would like in a relationship with the current family member. You may get a better sense of how they fail to fit the bill when it comes to that ideal version of themselves. This is the ideal parent, the one that you just wrote down. It isn't reality. In reality, the real parent or other family member may be quite different. You cannot force them into this ideal version of themselves. It doesn't work. I've tried. It doesn't work. You cannot force them into this ideal version of themselves. You cannot force anybody to change in exactly the way that you want. The only thing you can do is you can recognize that there are your expectations. This is what you'd like your parent to be or how you'd like them to act. You can feel a certain way when you don't. These feelings may be ones of anger, resentment, and disappointment. Anger can occur when a person acts in a way that you don't want, in a way that you can feel demeaning, disrespectful, threatening, or neglectful. For instance, when a parent doesn't respect your rules around food allergies, you may feel some anger around their behavior. Like, you're not respecting the fact that my child can't have those oats. You're giving my child oats, and you will feel angry. Resentment can be a feeling of ill will towards another person. Resentment can occur when the family member engages in perceived wrongdoing. For instance, you might resent a parent who refuses to feed your child their favorite foods even though they have them and even though the child won't eat much of anything else. You might resent your parent who just can't live up 
to your expectations, and those expectations are that the parent feed the child their favorite food so that the child will eat. Another emotion is disappointment. This disappointment can happen when we believe that we must have something from someone else in order to feel satisfied, and the person fails to deliver. They can't give you what you want. There are some situations so when no matter what you do, an individual might not be able to wrap their head around a certain medical condition. Intellectually, it might just be too much for them, or emotionally, it might be too much for them, or whatever other way, it might be too much for them. Then you might feel disappointment because you want them to get the situation. You want to get them to see it in the way that you do so that they can be part of your team helping your child but they just don't get it they'll never truly get it and they'll never truly be part of the team that can feel disappointing especially with that never because you've tried so many ways and it just doesn't seem to rework what you want from someone else can make perfect sense to you it can make perfect sense to you that you shouldn't feed your child the food to which they clearly have an allergy. You struggle in your head trying to figure out why exactly your parent isn't quite able to meet those expectations, but they cannot. They just cannot. Thus, your expectations of what that family member should act like or how they should think don't quite match up to reality. What do you do in that situation? Of course, you can feel emotions. It's okay to feel emotions. How about actions? What kind of actions do you do? What do you do in that situation? Of course, you can feel emotions. It's okay to feel emotions. How about actions? What kind of actions do you do? You could bully the parent for not fulfilling your expectations and for not acting in the way that you want. Yet you have to realize that this is your parent, and there is a distinct possibility that you will not be able to change them. You could also blame them and be upset that they're not fulfilling your expectation. You could threaten them. You could say, since you acted in this way, I won't see you for a month. You can threaten them by saying, the next time that you give my child a food to which he has an allergy, I won't speak to you for a month. The other choice you have is one of love. You can love your parent or other family member and accept them for who they are. Yep, love. You can love them for who they are. The world goes around in love, love, love. Okay, when you love them, you know that they're not fulfilling all of your expectations. You love them anyway. You do not put motive behind your actions. You do not make them feel bad by thinking that they are uneducated or crazy. By loving them for who they are, you say, you know, this is who you are. This is how you're, you're acting. I cannot change the way you act. I can only change how I act. I can only change me. How do you change you? You can change you by coming into all of this from a place of love. You just accept your parents or other family member for who they are while understanding that they have their limitations. You love them anyway. You understand that you have an ideal version of them. You wrote that down. Remember the ideal version? That was the ideal version. You want them to act in this ideal way. If you need some pointers on how to write it down, check out the freebie. Anyway, so you have this ideal version of who they are. However, your parents are just not going to fit this ideal. You can grieve this ideal, but this ideal was an illusion. It's not who they are. 
However, if you believe that your parents or other family members may be harming your child in some way, you need to set up boundaries. Instead of punishing them after they perform the action, you tell them about what your boundary is in advance. You tell them what you are okay with and what you are not okay with. Setting up a boundary goes something like this. You learn that your child has an allergy to rice. The child's parents may want to give him rice anyway. No matter how much you try to convince them otherwise, they might still not understand why they can't give their grandchild rice. You tell them, I love you for who you are, but my child is not going to have rice. If my child is given rice by you, then I'm going to get my child and I'm going to leave the situation. If you're going to try to give my child rice at that table, we're going to say goodbye. Then if the parents again try to give your child rice, hopefully you are present to observe the situation. You take your child, you follow through. You need to follow through as you cannot establish a firm boundary without both naming the consequence in advance, as well as following through on the consequence if the boundary is broken. Remember that a boundary is an action. It's more than a thought. To establish a boundary, you must act in two ways. First, you must let the family member know of the boundary in advance and of what consequences will be of breaking that boundary. Second, you must follow through on that consequences if the boundary is broken. When you first start instituting boundaries, the family member might be shocked. They might be quite upset. They might get angry at you. They might try to convince you otherwise. But that's them. You are not responsible for their reactions. You are not responsible for how they take things. You are not responsible for their emotions. You are not responsible if by setting boundaries, you are no longer the idealized child that your parents thought you were. That ideal version of you was that an ideal. Instead, you are responsible for making sure that you are comfortable. You're responsible for setting your boundaries and making sure to follow through with consequences when boundaries are broken. This is hard because many of us want to please our families. We want to make them happy. We want to feel well-liked by them and to do things that they want us to do. We think that the way to make our family members happy is to say, yes, this is even if the situation is uncomfortable. It's because we want to please them in some way. Yet, by saying yes, you are not standing up for yourself. Eventually, this leads to you feeling resentful, angry, or disappointed. You need to stand up to you, especially now. You need to stand up for your child. You need to make sure that your child is safe. That is so important. I cannot stress that enough. You need to stand up because right now you're not just standing up for yourself. You're standing up for your child. You are caring for your child. Set those boundaries and stick to them. Thank you for your time. When you're trying to understand your parents or other family members, we can discuss boundaries in more detail in the future episodes. Since it's the holiday season, happy holidays. Stay safe. I'm so glad you're listening. What a wonderful present for you to be listening. See you again this time next week. Thank you.